Yeah, yeah, I'm out at Brooklyn. Now I'm down in Tribeca, right next to the Nero. But I'll be hood forever. I'm the new Sinatra. And since I made it here, I can make it anywhere. Yeah, they love me everywhere. I used to cop in Harlem. All of my Dominicanos right there up on Broadway. Pull me back to that McDonald's. Took it to my stash spot, 560 State Street. Catch me in the kitchen like a Simmons whipping pastry. Cruising down A Street, off-white Lexus. Driving so slow, but BK is from Texas. Me, I'm out there bad stop home of that boy biggie now i live on billboard and i brought my boys with me say what up the top top still sit the welcome back to new persuasive words i'm scott jones and we are here to talk about what might be a religious political battle royale yes uh we've been called in by the vatican to talk about this since we did such a good job uh the other week with the with the Protestant holy see of wheaton uh so we thought we could just interject ourselves into this controversy as well. We're like basically global religious consultants. Right. Uh, who, who no one knows about. Well, a, a couple hundred people know about uh, it's a couple hundred people, but not more than a few. But not, yeah, and before we get into this, we should, take, uh, we should note Harper Lee passed away today. The day we are recording this, when we found out Harper Lee, arguably... Probably one of the five greatest American novels ever written, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, it's a lot of American treasures. People, big people are have died. Yeah, yeah. Scalia. Are you calling him an American treasure? For some. For some well, you, you know, know, it's interesting. I just read on Mockingbird's website how he wrote this letter at a funeral uh Decades ago, a Presbyterian Goodlow uh, in Virginia was the pastor. It was such a – he was so moved by the funeral because it wasn't centered on the eulogy but on the resurrection of Christ. Mm. And he said that, you know, in, in my understanding in canon law, encomium, which I had to look up, which is praise of people right. or things, is not allowed at a funeral. But that never he stops any, anybody. And Everybody, so he was, yeah. he was so moved that he said, you know, the problem even eulogizing a virtuous person is it distracts from the fact that why we're gathering is to hope for the resurrection of Christ and to entreat the mercy of God to sinners. So I was very moved by that. Well, you know, a man of deep faith, um, arguably one of the great minds to sit on the bench, and someone who, whether you agree or disagree with his philosophy, certainly has shaped an awful lot of of, of how the law is argued and, and how the Constitution is interpreted and will be interpreted, and certainly... His death has created uh, a bit of a problem in Washington. But that's not the problem we're talking about today. It's not. But you know what I don't understand? Like, I, you know, both parties do obstructionist things. I don't get coming out and saying I'm going to be obstructionist. <laughs> like, I would, I, would get, I, I would think the better thing politically is to sort of be like, well, we'll hold hearings. We will see. I mean, you know, the president. Like, why not? Why just say, hey. We're not even going to try to be grown-ups about this, or, or you know, or maybe like you know, just hide the fact that you have obstructionist goals. I, I know. I think Mitch McConnell and Harry Reid are the two weakest men who have been majority and minority leader of the Senate in my lifetime. I think that's not a unreasonable statement in the least. Yeah, and uh, it's unfortunate for the Republic to, to say the least, and that you know, regardless if you agree with him or disagree. With him, a man of 
great mind, a very influential person. He wasn't even, you know, he wasn't dead for 12 hours and they were already bickering and announcing they weren't going to replace him. And the way, and the, and the way that you honor the memory of a guy whose passion was a, a strict originalist interpretation of the Constitution is to impute meaning into it that's not there. <laughs> we're gonna, yeah, we're going to ignore the Constitution. Yeah, it's kind of similar to all, um, you know, the question that we're looking at today uh, arises from um, the controversy around a quote that, uh, that uh, the Pope made, Pope Francis, when asked um, on his way from Mexico about Donald Trump, um, made a statement that inferred that Trump's ideas may point to the fact that he's not a Christian. Yes, he, he said that the man who says such things about building walls and things like this is not a Christian. That Christians are bridge building, not wall building. And uh, Donald Trump, at least he's, he stays with his game plan. He called the Pope a disgrace for saying that. By the way, Trump was on Larry King. and Larry King has a podcast with his wife. And this was a month or two Larry ago. Larry King is still alive. Still alive. Remarried to someone who he was divorced from for a while. Then remarried. She's younger, very attractive person. And they were talking about the wall. And he said, Donald, if you build it, make it a Trump wall. Celine Dion shows glitz. I mean, make it a Trump wall, Donald. <laughs> All right. So let me get this right. David Bowie's no longer with us, but we still have Larry King. Larry King. And he's still interviewing. And uh, I remarked earlier today in a different podcast when I made – I, I didn't have the right name of the parish of the guy I was interviewing. I said this is like a Larry King moment where Larry was on – had Jerry Seinfeld on. He was famous. So I don't prepare, you know. So uh, he says, so Jerry, what's it, what's it like? Was it hard when your show was canceled? It's like, canceled? They offered me hundreds. I turned it down, left it number one. I wasn't can Well, I mean, what's the difference? Big difference, Larry. Can we go to break? Get Larry an intern over here. <laughs> all right. So I guess a couple of things about this. First of all, um, and uh, both uh, Pope Francis and, and Donald kind of qualified a little bit. They backed off a little bit from the thing. Uh, Donald Trump kind of uh, <coughs> I guess he, I don't think he retracted, but he was much softer, uh, last night in the town meeting in South Carolina than he had been in his initial reaction calling, you know, what kind of religious leader questions another man's, uh, faith. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I don't know what's happened to Morning Joe. You and I had this conversation, but, uh, Joe Scarborough was, and I only could watch it for a few minutes this morning. But he was equally incensed, and he just uh, wouldn't let it go that how disgraceful it was for uh, the Pope to call and a question someone's religious faith. And and my you know when someone when someone says, well, what kind of religious leader calls into question another person's faith? My initial reaction is perhaps one who's doing their job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think. Um, well, it's interesting too the hypocrisy with which one of the things like. I'm not Roman Catholic. Neither are you. I have. Yes, I'm not. I have strong Catholic sympathies. I right. It's a tradition I, I respect and, and find, you know, I I have sympathies with and there's great things. But I'll tell you, they, they, they play it down the – they play it fair. I mean, you know, it, if you're on the right in this country, there's a lot of positions Catholic social teaching is just going to – it's going to frustrate. And so what's interesting is 
on the right, it's okay to talk about abortion and issues of marriage and family. But the minute somebody talks about abortion, right? Anti-abortion. But the minute you talk about climate change, well, that's a political issue. I mean, this is <laughs> like Rick Santorum, who uh, you know is a very devout Roman Catholic, very conservative Roman Catholic, and you know, uh, unfortunately, because of the way he ran for president the last two times, uh, you know, it's clouded that as a senator, he had the highest rating for voting for aid for the poor. Uh, you know, he was in the top echelon of people voting for aid for the poor, particularly international stuff. But his, some of the things he says exactly when he was chiding the Pope for talking about climate change. I mean, that, that you're right. That inconsistency is just so blatant. And the left does it too. I mean, the left, like they love it when Francis lifts up issues around poverty or, or climate change. But, you know, it's, you, you know, there are a lot of cafeteria Catholics on the left. On both parties. So, I mean, it's not a, it's, this is a by, the Catholic Church is an equal opportunity offender. Yeah. And I think to me, one of the things, I mean, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything they teach in their social teachings. I would take issues with a number of things, but there is an attempt to be consistent in what they teach. Now, again, because they're Christians, they fail woefully in the, practicing of what they preach but that would be true of all of us who claim to be christian yeah and the 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 magisterium as a whole doesn't pander which is why it doesn't really fit in like the catholic church doesn't fit into our political imagination because it it's all over the map given where the church thinks the gospel speaks to different areas of life right right and in some levels i think that you know uh, the fact that people are upset with Francis probably says to me, you know, whether he was right to say this or not, it's his prerogative. Um, but the fact that people get offended by him, that he's not quite so popular because of this, it just probably means he's doing his job. Yeah. The other thing that is so frustrating about the way this is covered often in the press is that they try to put so much daylight between Francis and, say, Pope Benedict, or even John Paul, when really uh, the differences are in tone and emphases, but really Francis hasn't so much changed anything in Catholic social teaching. Again, he's emphasized some things, but you can find hard statements about capitalism, excess, greed in, in, in the last Pope. I mean, Pope Benedict said these things all the time. And John Paul II, just because he uh, stood against communism does not mean he was pro-capitalism at all. No, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, it's really interesting. Well, the LGI views, I think these are three of the most important and best popes they've had in a thousand years. Uh, and it's kind of like John Paul II was the starting pitcher. You know, Benedict was the middle reliever. Right. And, and Francis I is the closer. He's and, a good closer, too. And, a yeah, hot absolutely, arm. Absolutely. And if they are able, if he can live long enough to continue to make the changes, I think uh, the Catholic Church is much better it's in a much better position uh, for the 21st and 22nd century than uh, the majority of Protestants. That's that's my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting because in the Ratzinger report, when Benedict before he was Pope, he's always Ratzinger to me. <laughs> that it was there was an Italian journalist who I think later became became a Christian. I mean, went back to the church. Uh, it was a secular kind of Italian journalist or something, but he. It's just these long interviews. And he said, you know, well, doesn't the church have to modernize? He's like, yeah, it, like the church in every age is this mission has to, you know, figure out how to embody and speak the truth in a different 
changing context and world. But do you mean the mainline pro liberal Protestant experiment? Because we see that that's failed. Right. So, yeah. I mean, so maybe that he was acknowledging that there's a different way forward that has to be, but like, it's not going to be like we, a sort of accommodation to all of, you know, modern sensibilities by mainline Protestants who never meet a cultural trend they don't like. That's not, that doesn't bode well for a robust religious future. Right. Yeah. And it's a cautionary tale for the emergent movement who seems to be jumping on the sinking ship of liberal Protestantism. Yeah. There is a certain wing of it that it, it definitely seems that right. way. And I, and I, and, and I'm speaking to someone who kind of has some sympathies to liberal Protestantism. Absolutely. Absolutely. But getting back to the, the subject at hand. Okay. First of all, you know, was the Pope wrong to question whether or not Donald Trump is a Christian? I, I, it, I thought it was, on one level, I think the people have thought, eh, it might be a little bit of bad taste. Maybe. But I think it's important that he didn't step out you know, on the square with the microphone and say, hey, everybody, I have some things to say about Donald Trump. He was in a conversation about a wide array of issues on, a, a, as you know, on a plane ride right. background. And somebody directly asked him about Donald Trump. So on some level, the reporter kind of baited him. Uh, you know, there's several things he could have done and said, and he chose to – I mean, I, I think he was trying to say that these – some of these inflammatory statements seem to be in tension with or flat out just against the teachings message and life of Jesus and, and, and the Christian faith. I, again, I think it's, I think it probably, if you're looking at the interior of someone's heart or these things, I mean, that's probably beyond his pay grade. But, that's, but, but aren't, aren't there two different things? Can't you, I mean, what a person's true heart is or true standing with God, only God knows. Yeah, like you could say, I guess you could say that if somebody cannot say, let's say the Nicene Creed or something, that, you know, whatever God is doing in the heart, we, we couldn't maybe uh, admit them to a seminary or we couldn't or if somebody couldn't profess faith in Jesus as Lord, but like Jesus, the teacher. I mean, how, how God connects with that person is God's business. But but for the purposes of uh, the boundaries of the fa of the community, of the faithful and how we admit someone, that's a different story. Yeah, you have to make penultimate judgments on things. Yeah, I remember there was a person one time. One of my associates came to me uh, who was running the new members class and said, uh, such and such is enjoying the church because they, they, you know, they weren't comf comfortable with the question I was asked them. Well, I, you know, I was kind of, I was in the middle of doing stuff. I go, well, what, what question did you ask them? I, you know, and, and the associate kind of, you could, got kind of tense. And she said, I asked him, you know, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? I go, oh, well, that's that's a good question. Yeah, right. That's kind <laughs> and, of a... and he couldn't. He didn't. He said he didn't feel like he needed a savior. And I, I have to, I have to admit, okay, that the thing that I mean, I, I can disagree with someone's politics and their personality, and you know, I, you know, it's it's pretty clear what, what I think of Donald Trump. It's come out in a variety of ways over the last six months or however long we've been doing these podcasts. But when a person says they don't need to ask for forgiveness. That's a kind of fundamental. That's a kind of fundamental thing about being a Christian. He's got a very robust self-image. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. That's pretty. 
Now, again, he can call what, if he wants to call himself a Christian, I, mean, I don't think Mitt Romney was a Christian. I think he was a moral person. He's a Mormon. I don't, I don't, you know, the creedal stuff matters to me. Now, whether or not they get to heaven or not, that's God's, that's with God. But he doesn't, he doesn't affirm the Nicene Creed or the Chalcedon Creed, Mitt Romney, as a, as a Mormon. So that doesn't make him, you know, a Christian in any kind of historical, traditional sense of the word. Um, the, the question wasn't whether Mitt Romney was a Christian. It's whether he was a human. I mean, some days I thought there were batteries going to be popped out of his back. I just like tell you, man, a Mitt step Rob- for president. Mitt Romney looks pretty good looking at this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, it's, I had a friend who was a – he would not mind me mentioning his name. Brent Waters, a professor. At, uh, he was the chaplain at Redlands uh, University, Redlands State, I guess, in California. And uh, he said, you know, there was people that would um, come to me, and they were secular people that wanted their children baptized. And, you know, it was just, they, they weren't people of the church or people of faith, but family pressure. So I dealt with it. To try and deal with it generously, I said, of course I'll baptize your child. But we, I only used the traditional liturgy in which he kept in, do you renounce Satan and all his – So they, that basically – they moved on at that point. Right. No, it's a good friend. Well, you know, I mean, I think in some levels we need to call out Christians who are supporting Trump and, and acting like he is a Christian. You can support him because you like him or you think, I mean, we don't really know what he, what he stands for, or what his policies are, but you can support whoever you are. I support, uh, you know, uh, everyone's right to who they support politically. Uh, but even, you know, they asked him last night, uh, you say the Bible is your favorite book. What's your favorite Bible verse? And he said, well, that, that's that's personal. They go, well, do you like the Old Testament or New Testament? Because I, I pretty much keep them equal. In other words, the man has never read the Bible. He, do, he doesn't know the Bible. Well, which makes him a very fine Presbyterian. Right. I mean, that, that's like, I mean, that's. He could actually go to seminary with that background. But, but my whole point is, it's not, it's, it's not these kind of lukewarm people that are touting him. I mean, he's doing very well among very conservative Christians. And even some very conservative Christians have come out and support him as a Christian candidate. Yeah. But I think we talked about this, right? A couple of weeks ago. Uh, in the podcast, for everybody's reference, we're not moving to Canada yet, which is still true for both of us, but that was the title of the podcast. But we talked about an article, and I think it's in the show notes, where somebody from the Atlantic was saying that your rank and file sort of populist evangelical Protestant, they just want a Republican to win. I mean, they're not, no, the evangelicals, probably most of your professors at Wheaton College, we should talk about, those types of people, uh, wherever right. they are politically, don't like Donald Trump. The rank and file people, right. Who think he can win? Uh, you know, the, the, and he is Bill. If he becomes president, he promises we are going to do so much winning that we're going to say, Trump, Trump, president. We don't want to win anymore. We just can't. We just lose once, but we're going to have to keep winning because we have to make America great again. It's it's kind of like the Charlie Sheen campaigns <laughs> speech. Winning. It's amazing too how much losing and failure he has in his resume that no one brings up. Um, I, I, I again, I I don't know. Who's uh, managing the people that are running against him? But uh, he has plenty in his resume. But but ultimately, this is not what that's about. Whether or not Donald Trump is a legitimate candidate, or not he's going to win. He's going to win another primary, probably. Try South mind. Carolina, but the I, Palmetto State. But let me, you know, I I think probably not. Probably there are things where the Pope could have said to Bill, you know, to me, you know, that's not very Christian of you, and uh, he probably would be right. And, and, you know, I think to me, from a pastoral or from a Christian leader perspective, 
it's it's good for us to sometimes be called out uh, when our ideas are are really contrary to 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 a lot of the plain sense of of, of the gospel. I, one of the best thing I ever read in Sojourners, okay, the absolute best thing, and I can still remember it, January issue nineteen eighty. I was in college. And it was, you know, what is it? Are we really the church? I think Jim Wallace was the writer of it at that point. My favorite thing he ever wrote was his editorial. And it began with a story. They were at some sort of mission conference. And a Native American Christian started by saying, let's pretend we're Christians. So all these Christian leaders. And then began talking about what being a Christian might actually mean according to the gospel in the book of Acts. Hmm. And for a bunch of folks who claim to be biblical Christians, uh, and I, I try to be a biblical Christian as well, I must admit that there are many, many days where I fall short of what I'm called to do. And, and you know, that's that's a word of, not so much a word of judgment, but a word of exhortation and warning. I mean, um, it's good for us to stop and say, am I, are we really... Are we really acting in Christian ways and not just the ways that are comfortable for us? Uh, but particularly conviction comes from being stretched and being, you know, is this really what you want to be doing? Does this really reflect the glory of God? Is this really what Jesus is about? Yeah. And if you're not a hypocrite to some degree, you just have low ideals. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I mean, about that. You know, I, one of the most painful conversations I ever had with a staff person, there was, Something going on with two staff people. And, um, you know, he's, he said to me, he said, I just hate that person. And, you know, I'm, you, you know me pretty well. I'm, when it comes to being a leader, I'm, you know, I don't show you my cards very well. And I'm pretty professional and pretty, not very much emotions there. That cut me to the heart. Hmm. And I, you know, I was so surprised because it was so visceral. And I'm not saying the person that he was upset with hadn't done plenty to be upset with, but it just struck me to the core. I said, but I said, you can't. And, and I can still remember, matter of fact, the waves of emotion are, are coming back. I, it, it, it just broke me. I couldn't talk to me anymore because my heart was broken from it. And, because it's so true that in spite of all that we claim as Christians, um, it's so easy to have uh, a heart of hate and a heart of, of it marginalizes and reduces other people to, to less than. Yeah, you know, and I think, so this is our, our good friend Paul Zoll and his, and his son David have written a lot about the relationship of the law to the gospel. And on one level, you know, Zoll always says casuistry, which is sort of this philosophical, ethical, medieval way of arguing. And, you know, this yeah. is what the law means in this context. You know, PZ to see a casuistry is that it's all about watering down the law to a level, sometimes it can be, to where we can manage and keep it. So I think on some level, right, like what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount is giving us the law and saying, oh, you think it says do not murder, but if you say I hate you, it's the same thing that your interior is just as is condemning as your actions. And I think without the truth of that, no one ever gets to the gospel, which is 
God reconciles the world to himself and justifies the ungodly. You know, it heals the bridge with the ungodly. So I think on some level, it's it's only in light of the the law, which is which requires us to love God, the world He made, other people, and ourselves in a true, unmitigated, unflinching way. We all stand accused by that daily. Right. Well, I think we also have to look at this idea that uh, this, what comes to mind, and maybe this is a very fitting story for our, our friend Donald Trump. Um, the rich young ruler who comes to comes to Jesus, and um, and in Mark's gospel, you know, it it explicitly says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mark's version of the story. And some people think Mark was the rich young ruler because you see, it's only in Mark's gospel later. There's this disciple naked following after the arrest. So. So you're saying that the Deca guy was the rich young. Some woman. people, there are some commentaries think I, I don't, I don't know. I've, I, I've read, I have heard that the naked guy running was maybe Mark. Right, and then some people connect it because of the personal nature oh, of the rich young. So. Yeah, I've never heard that connection. Well, that's interesting. But when Jesus says to him, "There's one thing lacking: go and sell everything you have," um, and he goes away sadly. Um, it might be that that person was better off than he was when he came because at least he now knows he has to change. And, and he, and so he came thinking he was okay or he was interested. And it was kind of, in, you know, that the model, what, you know, I've not used it on the podcast, but you know, but we moved from being asleep to this kind of enlightened. So he was enlightened. He was interested in spiritual things and, and he walked away convicted, which, you know, I think conviction is just one step away from conversion. So we don't know what happened to him down the road, but but there's two things that's really important. It may have been that he made a step forward, but it's also very clear that he, he wasn't invited to follow Jesus. You know, when Jesus says that I think that, you know, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God, it's like a camel going through the eye of the needle. You know, what I think Jesus really means there is, it's really, really hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. I yeah. think he actually means what he says there. Yeah, I mean, I two other stories come to mind. Well, maybe one of the, I think, you know, when many people with even just a cursory familiarity with the Bible know the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus tells the story of, of a Jew who's lying in a ditch on the road beat up by, accosted by robbers and two religious, two different religious figures kind of walk on the other side of the road just to not be contaminated. And then a Samaritan who's an outsider comes and takes care of him and, and pay, pays his bill at the inn and for his own recuperation. And Jesus sort of says, you know, um, you know, which one, was the trans neighbor and, and, and the scribe is forced to say it's the Samaritan. It's the guy today. Right. The way we tell this, there's, um, you know, two Baptists and uh, somebody that, uh, works with Al Qaeda and they, <laughs> you know, it would be something like that right, or right. ISIS or something. But the interesting thing is the pretext of that story is, uh, the scribe asks about which law is the most important. 
that he could justify himself. Yeah, he'd justify himself. And so yeah. I think what Jesus is saying is, I'm the Samaritan, and you have to let me neighbor you. It, it, yeah. like, that you're the guy in the ditch. So do you want to experience the love of God? It's first, it's, and this is the, I think, insight at the heart of the gospel, that before you can bear witness to and embrace someone with the love of God, you have to know you're the beloved of God, which involves a, a keen awareness of your own finitude, brokenness, and need for mercy, and to, in light of the kind of conviction that you're speaking about in the first three. Yeah, you know, um, we live in a very angry age, and religion is used in that anger. I mean, I, I never go deep into different statements, you know, on social media, where people, you'll see something and there'll be 500 comments. But I did around this issue on the Pope, and I, I was really frightened a little bit. Not afraid, I'm not afraid, but to, but discouraged at the level of of really vicious anti-Catholic rhetoric. And you know, again, we you know we've talked about a lot of our some of our more progressive institutions and some denominations are have a new version of anti-Semitism. Uh, we've talked about the anti you know Islamic thing and. Uh, you know, and, and this gave people an opportunity to be, you know, take some really kind of, of, of really awful statements about Catholicism. And, and again, regardless of what our politics are, regardless of what our theological orientation is, uh, it's okay to say a hard word. It's okay to call someone out. It's okay to be prophetic, but it's, it's never okay to hate. Yeah. It, it, it's not, it, and religion ought not to be used that way. It, or anything shouldn't be used that way, but especially religion. You know, the last, this is like a a little Bible story review, but the story that also comes to mind, I I think we've talked about the Pope before. I think this, you know, this is what the ministry of Jesus must have looked like. When, when, whether it's John Boehner or a family whose child is cerebral palsy, he just makes people feel as if they're in the embrace of, the loving God revealed in Jesus Christ. He has this ministry of presence. And I think it's Zacchaeus, the story of this little guy who's so short that he has to climb up on a sycamore tree. He just wants to see Jesus. We don't know that he wants to follow Jesus. Or, he's supposed to see him. He yeah. just, you know, this is, this is the guy that, you know, is coming into town and, you know, he's huge. And so, <laughs> and so Jesus just looks up at him and says, you know, I'm going to, and this is a guy who's extorting his own people. You know, he's, sold out to the religious and political establishment. He's making a living basically on racketeering and extortion of right. people. And Jesus looks and says, I'm going to eat in your house. Yeah. And their encounter together ends. We don't know what happened like in that conversation, but he ends saying, just everybody, if I've cheated you, I'll pay you back more than I cheated. You tell me. I don't need a receipt. You just tell me. Right. And I think that if Donald Trump could eat dinner with the Pope, I think he would come away with a different perspective on life. Yeah. And you know what? And the Pope, you know, it was a rough trip for the Pope. I mean, if you or I had just been seeing all the things that he had seen, I'm not sure I'd be that generous with, you know, uh, strong elitist kind of people. Um, but one of the things I do think that, um, you know, I'm fairly confident that um, if the Pope made a mistake, um, and I'm pretty confident that one way or the other, the Pope's going to talk to his confessor about this whole thing. 
Yeah, this is something that's beautiful about this man that he doesn't wear the the the, the title or the office. He doesn't wear it with any presumption or pride. Uh, he actually wears it like as if he understands the grace and humility of Jesus Christ. And then because the Pope is a good Catholic, he does go to confessor and he confesses his sins on a regular basis. And because he's human, he does sin. And, you know, I think maybe all of us, um, you know, I, I'm trying to really, I've been struggling because there's things that really disturb me that are going on right now. And, and the great thing about a podcast, I get to talk about them and I can kind of throw a hand grenade and, and then, you know, <laughs> then go to the next subject. But I do think, uh, if there ever was a need for, for ministers of reconciliation it is right now, but reconciliation isn't just holding hands and saying we all play pretty. It means that we talk, we speak the truth, uh, but as we see it, and then we go to our confessors about it or, you know, to Christ or to someone and say this, you know, I'm not sure I was right here and I know I was wrong here. And we can only hope that our, our political leaders, uh, those who are people of faith, um, go to someone to confess their sins and, and those who maybe don't have faith, uh, will seek to do the good, the greater good for the, for the, for the people, not only of this country, but we're the most powerful country in the world. We have an obligation to look out for the least of those, uh, who are beyond our borders as well. Yeah. Miroslav Volf says that usually when we, when unspeakable things happen, when we're wounded, when we have enemies who are strange, unreconciled, the first thing we do is exclude ourselves, exclude uh, our enemy uh, from the fellowship of humanity and exclude our, ourselves from the company of sinners. Yeah. And when that happens, all manner of things become easy. So it's, uh, yeah, I think, I hope that more people are able to find freedom in confession with the God who's a friend to sinners. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Donald Trump's a Christian or not, but I'll pray for him tonight um, after I confess my own sins.
tin pot on the corner selling rock preachers pray to God and the gypsy cab takes me down from Harlem to the Brooklyn bridge someone sleeps tonight with the hunger for more than an empty bridge Goodbye.